This is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System, which is the company I started after I wrote the book Built to Sell. You know, if you're interested in working with us, what we're going to have you do is start by completing your Value Builder questionnaire. We're going to give you a score out of a possible 100, and that's going to relate to how acquirers would view your business. The lower the score, the worse off you are, the higher the score, the better you are. And the average business who starts with us gets a score 59 out of possible 100. Now, if you work with us over time, we're going to have you work on these eight key drivers of your company's value. Think things like recurring revenue, structure of your management team, your financial performance, your growth potential. And at the end of that process, if you're able to get your score up to a score of 80 or greater, we can see statistically, now having worked with more than 20,000 businesses, that you're going to go on to improve the value of your business by an average 71%. So there's a demonstrable economic benefit to working with us. The first step is to get your value builder score. And you're going to do that by going to valuebuildersystem.com. So let's talk about the time value of money. I mean, would you rather have a million dollars in the bank when you're 30 or $10 million when you're 50? Or would you put off all the cash for $30 million at the age of 70? Interesting question. Our next guest made a very interesting decision. He decided to sell his business at the age of 23 for $400,000. And when I first heard that, I thought, Cody, you've left money on the table. If you just run your business for another 10 years, you could have gotten exponentially more. But I think my initial reaction to this story was actually missing the point. For Cody, he was ready to sell. And $400,000 today trumped some potential value in the future. To tell you about his thought process and the process of selling his company, here's Cody McLean. Cody McLean, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Uh, yeah, uh, it's great to be here. So tell me a little bit about Pacific Host. You were, you guys were in the web hosting business? Yeah, it was a web hosting company. I started off offering shirt hosting and I was able to migrate into other areas like offering VPS, which is a virtual private server, uh, offering dedicated servers, and also had a reseller hosting type services. So would it be fair to say as an analogy for this business, I mean, if you have a website, you need to, to rent some some space in the cloud to, to actually have that, that site sit somewhere, just to, for people who aren't tech savvy to get a sense of what web hosting is. Uh, yeah, pretty much is that we would, uh, I would lease the, the server from the data center and then I would offer disk space and bandwidth allocations uh, to customers. And there's an analogy that I, I like to use a lot uh, where in a web hosting company, you imagine that everybody has their own apartment in, a, in an apartment building. Uh, a VPS, it, everybody kind of has like a condo. So you have a little bit more space, you can do a little bit more. And then having a dedicated server, we actually have your own physical server. That's like having your own house. Good analogy. And you guys sold all those things. Yes. yes. So I guess Rackspace would be the 800-pound gorilla in your market? Uh, we didn't really compete against Rackspace. There's a lot of companies out there that do a lot of different things. And in one way, Rackspace, their, their whole thing is about the awesome customer support. And that, so that really was their selling point. Because I'd say in the later years, hosting has really turned into a commodity. So it required a lot more 
uh, thinking and a lot more features and I uh, really turned into a pricing war, at least for the shirt hosting market. I would say my competitors were more akin to Bluehost and HostGator, but even they were on a larger scale. And what I was actually able to do to, to, to make it a more successful business, because really I'd say everybody and everybody and their mom and dad really started a hosting company. You know, you can go to hostgator.com and buy a $25 a month reseller account and all of a sudden you can sell hosting. Uh, what I was able to do was go after a more specific market just beyond just regular general hosting services and I targeted the FFmpeg hosting which FFmpeg, it's a Linux codec that you install on, on a Linux server. Wait a minute, that's a handle, FFmpeg? Is that what you call it? Yes, yes. Man, that, it's trying to say that twice, three times fast. Yeah, it, it definitely took me a while to get used to the saying that as well. Uh, it, it would just, if you compare it to like when YouTube got big, I think maybe around 2005 era, is everybody, uh, you, you would upload a video and then it would need to be converted into an FLV format, which is, which is the Flash video player format. And so even YouTube had their own version of FFmpeg that they that they custom coded, but FFmpeg was just a, a, a kind of a software that uh, an open source software that you can install. And at the time, nobody was doing it in a shared hosting environment uh, because once you once YouTube got big, everybody wanted to have their own YouTube website. And so we had a lot of different porn, uh, or a lot of different sites, including uh, porn and uh, just uh, any if you want to have like a, a site about. Uh, I don't know, uh, rock climbing or um, racing cars or just if you want to have a comedic site. So we, do, we found a lot of different customers in a lot of different areas who wanted to have some kind of video, their own video sharing community. And you couldn't do it at the time because you had to get your own dedicated server, which was like a minimum of like $200, $150 a month. Then you have to find a server administrator who knows how to install it and how to maintain it. Uh, so I saw an opportunity in the market to offer this on a more basic level to more consumers. You know, if you only have $10, $15, $20 a month, you want to start a website like YouTube, I allowed you the ability to do that. Uh, so I was the first company to go and do that. And the reason why is that whenever you have a customer upload a video, it has to be processed by the CPU, by the processor, and it takes up a lot of RAM and resources on the server. And the the earlier problems that I had is that we would have one customer who might use all the resources where he gets customer uploading the video, and then all of a sudden, like, the server goes down for everybody else because the CPU is maxing out, you know, trying to convert his video to play on his website. And so I was able to also uh, develop kind of a, a more custom level of, of mitigation that allowed us to prioritize those uh, those uploads and those processing of those videos so it wouldn't slow down the server for everybody. And that's really what allowed me to grow in that shared hosting space for that new developing uh, area of FFmpeg hosting. And you had a great growth rate. Uh, you, you went from 2009. Just give us a sense of the trajectory. You went you started in 2009. What, what did you get it up to by 2013 in terms of, uh, in terms of revenue? Uh, so, uh, in, ter in terms of revenue, it was it was definitely growing extremely fast. Um, by uh, so, I, you know, I started out really with nothing, no customers whatsoever. And by 2013, I was making uh, I'd say around 660 thousand, uh, and it was growing even even more beyond that. So you had revenues of 660 thousand. Was it profitable, Cody? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I was supporting myself on that business. I, I had no other income at the time, so my, my life was dedicated to it. So you're, you're growing. Uh, you're still a young guy. What made you want to sell? It was uh, feeling like I was trapped. 
And uh, I, like, I, I haven't read your book yet, but I know a, a large part of it is about building a business that's not where you feel like you're essential to running the business. And the way that I built that business was not only did I devote my life to it, you know, 12-hour days, but it was also just feeling like my life wasn't progressing in that the, the business had, had reached its maximum from just, uh, you know, what, what I could personally get out of it. Because it's one thing to, to be able to make a lot of money. And it's another thing to be able to have something that you feel passionate about. And my passion wasn't building it, was in finding the, overcoming the challenges and the obstacles of, of finding a market, of growing uh, a, a company, finding the right people and fulfilling the right job positions and making everything work. But it felt like I got to just a certain point where I just wasn't getting that, that, that you know, int intrinsic motivation from running the company anymore. It, it turned from a passion into a job. And so, and is that something that, you know, when you look back in your life, you know, the, the sports you played as a kid or the, you know, the, the hobbies you had or the, you know, the other things you've done in your life. I mean, would you say that in general, you're, you're a starter, not necessarily the guy who, who, who kind of likes to, you know, finish yeah, it yeah. Or, or maintain it? Maybe is that something common or is this a one-off for you? Uh, no, that that is completely accurate. Even even with my new companies that I have now, I've I've been able to learn a lot more about how to manage and how to run these companies. And so, even with my current company, I'm I'm CEO of Support Ninja, uh, where we provide outsourced support to other startups. Uh, I, I look at it as a separate bubble, and I look at uh, you know having multiple nest eggs. And so, I actually have more than one. I have like three businesses right now that are self-sustaining. They have their own heads of operations, and they're running independently. And that gives me the freedom to you know move on to the next challenge and the next obstacle. Whereas on Pacific Coast, I built this from a perspective of uh, if I didn't make this successful, I wouldn't I wouldn't have anything. You know, I had no backup plan. I, I couldn't move them to my mom's basement, and I, I didn't have any of those those safe, you know, fallbacks that you get, you get a lot. So I put my heart and soul into building that company, but it really turned into just, just, just this, uh, I felt trapped. I felt like I was connected to it. You know, I would be, I, have, I would get a, a call at 3am in the morning if a server went down. And even though I had a server administrator, I'd still have to make sure that the customers were happy and, you know, do all that communication. So it felt like I was just it took over my life, and that wasn't fun. Was there any? I mean, obviously, Rackspace or, or or some of the other companies you mentioned earlier. I mean, they they built you know very large companies, and there's a creative process associated with with building a, a large company. Um, did that did that not appeal to you for some reason? Did you not think you could scratch that itch of of that need for creativity and the need for expression through your own company? I, trying to explore why you felt like you couldn't get it out of, you know, taking it from 600,000 to 6 million, for example. Well, what was the... well, 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 there's also the aspect of, I'm sure you've heard the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. And a lot of my customers wore that 80%. They were taking up all my time because I built the company trying to think, how can I grow this as fast as possible? So I went at the bottom end of the market, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom feeders, if you will, because that's really what uh, took up the majority of the consumer shirt hosting market. So I had a lot of customers paying me five, $10, $15 a month. And sometimes I would have to, I would run promotions because really, as I said, hosting, it turned from a, a service back in the late nineties into a commodity. And the only way that you could differentiate yourself beyond what Rackspace does around support was having a better price over your competitors. And so I would get people who would uh, just give me $10 a month 
myself for hosting and they would complain to me all the time. And then I might even get a customer who, who gives me a $200 uh, payment, and but that's for the next three years. you know. And then who knows what that customer is going to be like if he's going to be using up all my support staff, is if he's just going to be a nightmare. And those customers were, uh, I had a lot of them. And so it, it was also this frustration aspect of, okay, I built this brand around cheap hosting. And so it wasn't, it, you know, I thought of it, believe me, I, at one point I had, uh, it was, it was an, un, I was trying to, to, to move it to unmanaged VPS. Like now today you have DigitalOcean, uh, you have a lot of these uh, unmanaged virtual private server uh, services, but I built the brand from the perspective of, of cheap hosting and offer and trying to offer quality support. It wasn't always quality, but I, I, I tried my hardest. And so it wasn't it wasn't easy for me to pivot that that company because it already had built a reputation around a certain product and a service, and that wasn't going to change. So you decided to sell. Take us through the process of selling the company. Uh, yeah, sure. So I initially I, I went to Hosting Con. So Hosting Con is a convention that happens every year in, in one of the major U.S. cities. We have a lot of the vendors and hosting companies, you know, all come to get together. I, I really didn't know if I, uh, I, I didn't necessarily wake up one day and say that I wanted to sell it, but I was just having kind of uh, dreams and thoughts about, you know, what my life could be like without having to having this huge weight on my shoulders and also i thought it was kind of a, a huge liability as well because it's not a brick and mortar business you know if something uh, any if any one of my employees uh, who had access to my servers, they could just go and type in rm negative rf slash, which if you don't know, that basically is the Linux command for you can delete everything on a server. And that happened actually in one of my previous companies. So uh, over time, I started to, to develop this thought about, you know, what I, what could happen, what could change. And I met a, uh, I did some research and I found that there were basically two brokers in the hosting industry. Uh, I had a phone call with one just saying that, you know, I'm not sure if I want to sell. I really don't know because this is my baby. And you know, I had I despite the 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 hate I had for it, I absolutely loved it because it became my life. And, you know, my life revolved around that company, and I was able to find another broker, uh, and her name was Hillary Stiff, and Hillary and her husband Frank Stiff, they run Cheval Cap. And they've done some of the biggest deals in the hosting industry. I was, I was just on their website, and they, and they mentioned that they've done $2 billion worth of transactions. And I just had a phone call with her just, you know, about my interest. In, and I'd say that we, we really hit it. And I, I felt like she was very sincere, and she was very empathetic, and she wasn't trying to force me. Um, but she said that, you know, let's just see what's out there. Let's see what we can find, and, you know, you can make a decision later on. So you decided to engage with with Hillary and uh, and, and give her the business to sell it. Yeah, uh, it, it certainly wasn't a uh, an easy process. Um, basically, what they have is that they have a list of companies who are interested in selling, and so I think it's every week or every other week they'll send that list out to interested prospects, which will re really go to almost everybody in the hosting industry or anybody who has money to acquire other companies. And and at the moment, the hosting industry is really turned into just being acquired. Uh, I could go off on a whole separate, uh, separate um, talk about why the hosting industry is dying to an extent. Um, but for the most part, a lot of uh, growth in hosting right now is made just through acquisitions. And uh, so they sent that list out for, for many, many weeks. And uh, I would just get an email from her with uh, with the number and the, the the company name, and then we would just set up a meeting and we would have a quick chat and see, uh, you know, if if they're 
interests uh, would line with what the company does. And so how many of those conversations did you have with prospective buyers before you, you eventually found the one that you would consummate the deal with? Well, I started the whole process in 2012, and I wasn't actually able to sell until late 2013. So I would say maybe it was a whole year and a half process. So it was a much longer than anticipated, and 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 to, and to some extent, it was kind of uh, it, it was kind of like a slow pain because I was still inside myself struggling with well, do I want to keep it? Do I want to sell it? And then trying to you know go back and forth on this decision, which I made a lot of times. Where I'd wake up one day like, no, I don't want to sell it, <laughs> you know. But then I would get an, I would get a call, and then you know I'd go on that call. Uh, there were a lot of calls I had with uh, a lot of different hosting companies and even non-hosting companies uh, where uh, it, it some some calls went good, some calls weren't that great. And, uh, you know, I'd have some, some of these people, I would just send them over the financial projections and all the other information regarding the, regarding the, the thing. And it, it kind of came to a climax, I would say, at the end of 2012, when I was talking with a, a very well-known hosting company. I know uh, if I mentioned that, which I don't, I don't think I can, but uh, ev- everybody would know, the, would know this company. And they were very interested in uh, Hillary, who I felt was very empathetic. And, you know, and I, think, I think it's really good to have a broker who you can trust because she was giving me her own opinions that were not just beyond uh, you know, her trying to make the money, but it just, I, I really felt that she wanted to make it a success not only for the buyer and the seller. And I think you know, that's obviously uh, their, their own reputation is on the line as well. And we, we've, we felt that we had a good fit and everything was going to go along as planned. And so it was at the end of 2012, and uh, on January 1st of 2013, Obama's new uh, Obama had uh, raised taxes. I think it was uh, capital gains tax, and the capital gains tax was going to go up considerably. So we were trying to rush this whole thing to make it go down in in late. Uh, 2012, and so this is December, and everything was was fine. Everything was proceeding. We we're sending them the necessary information that they were looking at to do their final due, due diligence checks, and then we had a phone call, and that phone call was kind of where it all fell apart because w- apparently we had never talked about a non-compete. And now, now personally, hosting is all I've ever done. You know, I'm I'm maybe uh, like 19 or 20 at the time. And I had done nothing else in my entire life other than doing web hosting. So I was afraid of like, what am I going to do after I sell this? And I, I thought the only thing I could do is go back right into web hosting. And I wanted to have the ability to still sell web hosting. And we apparently had not discussed this. I knew that we discussed it in a previous phone call, but apparently they didn't, you know, write it down or anything. And when they sent the the, the actual agreement over, uh, I noted that uh, as an issue. And then they were like, "Whoa!" And apparently, like a whole bunch of red flags came up for them. And at that point, it pretty much stalled the deal, and uh, it it didn't happen. So that was an intense process to go through, where I felt very disheartened and. Uh, going back on as well. I don't need them. I'm just, I can do it myself. You know, I don't need to sell it anyway. Um, so. so after that fall start in 2013, you were actually able to successfully sell the business. Maybe take us through that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a couple months down the road and I was able to find another buyer who was very genuine and they, they also had a history of very successful uh, purchases and they were trying to expand outside what they were currently doing and they, they didn't have any experience in doing the, the, the shared hosting service that I was offering, but they were still very interested in, in, in they felt genuine. And uh, Hillary thought that we would definitely be a good fit. Um, yeah. 
Did the non-compete issue come up with them? Uh, no, it's actually, I know that was in a, something, you know, after we learned from that, that previous deal in 2012, uh, we learned that, that I was going to bring that up, you know, almost on the first call, and I did, and, and they didn't really have any issue with it. Uh, there, there was a restriction, but the restriction was just that I can't go after the exact same type of customers, so I couldn't go after the FFF. FFmpeg hosting market. I still have trouble saying it. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to either because I was tired of dealing with these low paying customers that were just incredibly, um, you know, they, they're always complaining about everything. And it was just a constant uh, sh charade back and forth. And so, it was incredibly stressful. So I didn't want to deal with that again. So you, you, you worked your way around the non-compete. Um, talk us through the offer. Uh, what did they offer you? What did you counter with? What did you finally sort of sell the business for? Maybe walk us through that. Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, the, the initial figure that I mentioned about 600, 660000 that's about what it was making uh, at uh, for like the previous 12 months or so. When you say and, making, do you mean top line revenue or? Uh, yeah, that's, that's top line revenue. Got it. Uh, okay. So it was still on a very high growth rate, though, and it was projected to get to over a million dollars in under two years. So the final deal, uh, and let me backtrail and say that uh, most hosting companies, the deals are based on a 12-month projection of the of the actual current revenue without uh, necessarily any expected growth. That's pretty much a standard hosting deal. Um, most hosting companies, as far as I know, have been conducted like that. So uh, they, they were fine with uh, at the current revenue, which is around 660000 but the, the, the growth rate, again, because it's growing so rapidly over these few short years, that uh, we were going to add kind of a, a bonus payment if it met actually met those projections, and so uh, the it, it was the, the the first deal. And actually, I also had a competing offer at the exact same time, which kind of amp up the ante right here. But the, I actually uh, went over to him and I, I I met the CEO of this other company and just overall just had kind of a an icky feeling about it because he was going to offer me more than what this company was going to offer me, but it was less cash up front and it was offering me stock in his company. And then he would also make me an employee of his company and he was going to offer me like a hundred thousand dollar a year job as, as helping him uh, do business development because he had a new uh, idea that he wanted to, wanted to create. But just overall, Hillary's own feelings was that it just wasn't really the best. And uh, she would recommend that I take the, like, take the lower offer, even if it's um, not as good, but you know, I'm getting more cash up front. And, and really when it comes to M&A's, cash is king is, is the thing I hear time and time again. Uh, so, so what was the cash up front payment? And then what was the, the sort of bonus you were entitled to? Uh, so at the initial signing, they gave me a, a cash uh, lump sum payment of four hundred thousand. I remember I, I flew over to their office, and uh, they're they're the the CEO, and then their lawyer was in the room, and I had my laptop open, and then he made a quick he went and stepped outside the room, made a quick call. I uh, came back in and said you sh it should be good, and so I just logged into my Chase Bank account, and I saw it. It had a couple more zeros in it, but it was a uh, four hundred thousand. Uh, was the initial payment, and then, then we started the whole transition process. Then there were going to be two additional payments of uh, that met to that 660. And so the next payment, I think, was 30 days later, uh, because I think their concern was making sure that you know they're they're not buying a, a scammy business, because apparently there had been previous deals, especially in the hosting industry, where uh, everything looked 
awesome up front, but then where they actually had access, were granted root access to the servers and actually saw the customers that uh, there have been some pretty uh, not so great deals. Uh, so they were doing their, their due diligence by giving me that uh, payment up front, which is great because it was uh, very high apparently from what it could have been. And then the next two payments that met to 660 were uh, 30 days later and then 90 days later. And then there were uh, two, two additional payments that, that we were able to negotiate them on based on that projected revenue. If it met that projected revenue of over a million dollars within the next two years, then I would be able to get those additional payments. And so they were slightly under 200,000. So the so I, I received one in 2014, and then I was able to also receive one in 2015. And so that was great is that uh, I was able to actually, you know, go through with the whole thing. And uh, I was concerned that uh, they would try and manipulate the books or something, or if like we would have to go back and forth with the lawyers if 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 I if they didn't send those final payments, then uh, we would have to like ask for access to the books and to see what what went wrong. And I know that could get pretty nasty, but uh, luckily, all I can say is that it worked out um, compared to some of these other deals that I've heard where um, you do that. Well, fantastic, good for you. I mean, how old are you, Cody? Uh, right now, I'm 25. So what does it, at the time, 23, what does the 23-year-old kid do when he sees $400,000 in his bank account? Uh, I don't, it was, it was hard to process, I would say. I mean, uh, all your peers are just getting out of university or, high, you know, college. They, they probably are 400 grand in debt, more or less, maybe less than that. But still, here you are with, with this massive amount. I mean, did you go buy anything? Were there any trophies? That, did you buy a car? What did you buy? Uh, well, I was leasing my car at the time, and so I, I did just say, okay, screw it, I'm just going to buy it instead of paying the, you know, the monthly lease payment. Uh, I didn't do anything too drastic. You know, I didn't go out and buy a Lamborghini or a big house or anything because I also knew that that this is the you know money that I had personally earned. And I kind of compare it to uh, somebody if 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 like your dad buys you a Lamborghini versus you're able to buy a Lamborghini with your own money is that you're gonna feel a lot better about your own achievement because it wasn't given to you. And so I knew that this money it wouldn't last, and it really wasn't a lot of money. And you know, many business aspects, it's it's a very tiny amount of money. Um, for for myself, a 23 year old, uh, you know, it certainly uh, was more than I had than. Uh, any time in the past. So I was able to uh, work with a financial advisor and, you know, we put some of it away. I was able to use the, some of it. And I, I just say I kind of bought furniture from my apartment because it was pretty lacking at the time. So I, I upgraded to like a MacBook and uh, I have two iMacs and all this other fun techie stuff because I'm a very uh, techie electronics. So. I, I, I get the picture. Cody, I think we, I think everybody listening it really can can visualize you as a pretty technology savvy guy. So that's uh, I'm not surprised there were a couple of MacBooks uh, purchased. So as you look back uh, on the deal, and you know hindsight being 2020, what 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 surprised you about actually consummating the transaction, uh, having the competing offer? I mean, maybe another way to ask the question was like, what would you do differently had you had it to do over again? Yeah, it's really hard to say that um, I would have done a whole lot differently. I know that uh, there were a few issues with the employees. And so uh, we had, I think, four or five employees based here in the U.S. that were handling customer service and sales. And then I had my, my team in India that was doing a lot of, a lot of the customer support. And I, I didn't tell them up to the point of the sale. I pretty much only told them when I had signed the document and I knew that, you know, everything was going to happen. And I think that might have been a week or so before actually 
the, the whole process occurred. And a lot of their initial reactions was like, oh crap, I'm going to have to find a new job. And I know I talked with them before I sold it and I was like, hey, you know, can we make sure that the existing employees, they're really great, they're really awesome people, can they keep their jobs? And they said that they would uh, make a, a, I don't know exactly what they said, but it was, it was kind of like, okay, we will, we will consider it, we will uh, do as best as we can to keep them and see if we can make them a part of our team. And so, uh, you know, that's what I told them. I said, don't worry, you know, everything's going to keep just as the same. It's just I'm not going to be giving you orders any, anymore. Uh, but I'd say six, seven months down the road, you know, I look back at it and uh, they're all, they've all been replaced because, uh, in, because I, I later realized, at least with a lot of mergers and acquisitions, especially in the hosting world now, is that when they buy a company, they're all about reducing overhead, reducing costs, consolidating everything. And they already had an office over in L.A., so they fired everybody that I had and just basically kept everybody uh, inside their own staff because it just took them time to learn how to how to work with everything. So I, I did feel some level of of, uh, of sadness, I would say, for the the people that I had employed with me. Um, so I, I don't know if I would have handled that if I could have handled that better. It just uh, you know I guess it just kind of came with uh, with selling it. As you look back now, with with a couple of years distance from the the sale, uh, was it the right call to sell so early? I would say so. Uh, I, I know I actually gave a talk at CPanelCon, uh, which is, CPanel is, is the world's largest control panel for hosting companies. HostGator, Bluehost, they all, they all use CPanel. And I was just, in my talk, I, I just talked about how shared hosting itself is really a dying industry because uh, you used to have uh, developers, which, which uh, a, a big issue that we all always ran into is that uh, you would have a software developer make a PHP script. And then that customer would buy that script, and then they would have to find a hosting provider to go install that on. But then that ended up causing a lot of customer frustration because if we had some server configuration that was mildly different, then the customer would go to the developer, then the developer would log in and say, oh, no, it's your hosting provider. But then we would say, no, it's the software provider, and just this constant banter, this back and forth. Um, so th there were a lot of issues just in terms of, of providing support to customers. Um, I actually lost my point. What was the no, question again? I guess my point was really, you know, do you as you look back two years later, was it the right call to sell? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yes, it was. I I would definitely agree. Uh, because I mean, yeah. Sorry, what I was what I was saying is that a lot of these developers who made these PHP scripts, they've actually converted to a SaaS model. So now you have a lot of uh, services that are on Amazon Cloud and on the Rackspace Cloud, and the developers actually realize that they can actually charge a monthly user sub subscription fee instead of having to deal with shared hosting. Uh, so shared hosting, it's kind of a it's kind of a legacy service. And so uh, from one perspective, it was still growing. But from another perspective, it would be uh, much harder to, harder to pivot the brand that it already was able to, it was actually in. And so from an innovation perspective of actually wanting to work on innovative products, of actually wanting to do something more than just doing web hosting, uh, I felt like it was necessary to go out and do something else um, because I just felt stagnant, you know, apart from being trapped in it. Um, I, I, I don't have any regrets. I, I, I did have that question of like, you know, am I going to regret selling this after I sell it? And I was lucky that I didn't. Well, we're glad that you didn't and, and glad you could join us today. Just briefly as an ending note, where can people find you now? Uh, well, I have my website, uh, CodyMcLean.com. And 
Uh, I'm actually also going to be releasing a book that uh, entails about this whole process that I had about this company, about Pacific Coast, when I sold it, as well as the previous company that I had before that. And so it entails that whole interesting process if, if you want to read that. We'll get that link into the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us, Cody McLean. Yeah, thank you, John. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-L-O-W.